don't know when your worship service started this morning, but mine started, I have two offices here, okay? One is out this door and to the left. There's an office just like it on the right. There's a lot of porcelain in there, and the acoustics are perfect, okay? I go in there every Sunday morning and change clothes. I have another office. And by the way, you can sing in there, and it's awesome. I sound as good as Jim and them do out here. I sound that good in there. So if you come in there while I'm changing clothes, you may hear me singing. My other office is in this hallway right here, and, and I kind of sit down in there for a few minutes and, and get ready to go. And, uh, man, they were, they were practicing the praise team, and the, and, the, and the worship team was practicing. We were ride. And I just had to come apart in there. I, I thought, okay, God's here today. There's no doubt. And so I got encouraged, and uh, I just want to encourage you. We're here for one reason. It's not to look good. I mean, we want to do everything we do with, as excellently as we can. I, I believe God deserves that. But folks, we are here to worship Jesus Christ, and we are here to go after Him with all our hearts. And you know what? All of us go after Him a little differently, and He likes that. And so I want to encourage you today to go after God today with whatever your need is. And we're going we're gonna to finish up today our, our series on the Holy Spirit. And we've just, we've just been for the last four or five weeks, we've just been calling it the Holy Spirit. A necessity or not? Is the Holy Spirit necessary for today? Do we really need Him? And we're going to finish up today, but for the past few weeks we've just been on a journey to rediscover who the Holy Spirit is. And, and really to recover maybe some of the things that the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't know about you, but I believe this Bible is the authoritative Word of God. I believe this, the, the words that are on these pages were breathed by God. That, that's, what Holy, that's what inspiration means. They are God-breathed. For those of you that are Greek scholars, Theonustos, God-breathed, Spirit-breathed. I believe this book tells us how to live. And I believe that if we follow it, you know what? We will be blessed. I really believe that. I don't know if you realize this or not, but this week is, is, kind, of a, is kind of a special week. I mean, I mean, some of you would say, yeah, well, it's, it was Halloween. Well, no, it, it, I'm not talking about Halloween. This week is the 494th birthday of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Now, that may mean absolutely nothing to you, but it should. Because had it not happened, we would not be sitting here, okay? 494 years ago, 1517, a monk named Martin Luther had been studying the Word of God. And he realized that there were things that the Word of God taught that his church was not teaching. And so he drew up what's known as the 95 Theses, the 95 Statements of Faith. And he nailed them. He was a, he was a professor at a theological university in, in Wittenberg, Germany. And he nailed them to the castle door. And folks, that's where the Protestant Reformation began. Before that, there was only the Catholic Church with a little c, okay? Not, not, the, not the Catholic Church that we're all a part of in the sense of the body of Christ. But there was the Roman Catholic Church, and that's all there was. And, and Luther didn't do this as a way to split a church. He did this because what he found in the Word of God was true. And the church had lost so much since that first century when Jesus was... Uh, walking with his disciples. 1,500 years later, in 1517, they'd lost a lot of things. And one of the things that they had lost was the Word of God. Now, it was in their churches, but it was only in Latin, 
And it could only be read in Latin, and nobody could understand what the Latin meant because none of them spoke Latin except for a very few priests. And so the people only knew what they were told, and they did what they were told. And Luther realized that the Word of God said some things that he hadn't been taught. And so he began to follow the Word of God. And what happened is the Protestant Reformation was sparked, and one of the statements of the, of the Protestant Reformation was sola scriptura, Scripture alone. In other words, we will allow Scripture to speak to us. We don't have to have it interpreted by a man or a church. We will study Scripture. We will let Scripture interpret Scripture. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, okay? I'm going for a confession in a few minutes. I'm going to confess something to you. But I, I, I want you to understand this because here's what's happened to most of us Protestants. We don't know our roots. We don't know why we're here. We don't know why we meet as Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Church of God and Church of this and Church of that. We just figure it's because... No, it's because these individuals stood up and said, we want the Word of God back. And they were willing to die for it. And many of them did. But it's Scripture alone, the belief that Scripture should be our authority and that Scripture should be used to interpret Scripture. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading commentaries, there's nothing wrong with using dictionaries and all the tools that are available. But you know what? God can and does interpret His Word through His Word. And you know what? You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have a Bible college degree. All you have to do is take this and read it, and you'll be surprised. I, I don't know that uh, this gentleman was a Christian, Mark Twain. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but this is what he said. It's not what I don't understand in Scripture that scares me. It's what I do understand. And the Word of God speaks to us, folks. It has a lot to say. As I've been preparing these sermons on the Holy Spirit, that's ex exactly what I've done. I've, I've allowed God to speak to me. And I've, I've simply used the text, and I've studied what the text says. One of the reasons is because my library is packed up in about 50 boxes in my barn. Okay, I don't have a place to put it yet, and so it's stacked in my barn, and it's really hard to get to that stuff. And I just decide, okay you know what, I'm going to let God lead me in this, and I'm just going to follow him, and we'll see what Scripture says. And I've purposely not gone, and I've not dug out any commentaries, I've not dug out any theologies, because I wanted to hear what God's Word had to say about the Holy Spirit. And you know what, God hadn't disappointed me in my study. He spoke to me every week, and he showed me some things. Last week, we talked about what the Bible has to say about the baptism of the Spirit. Now, that's a biblical truth, but now I want you to understand something. That's a pastoral landmine. Anytime you mention baptism of the Spirit, people go to two extremes, and we talked about that. And so i, I got to tell you, last week I was a little bit tense and a little bit tight and a little bit scared, and I wanted to, say, I wanted to stay in a certain place. I didn't want to go way over here, and I didn't want to go way over there. And I think we did that. I mentioned a few minutes ago a confession. They say confession is good for the soul. But it's hard on the reputation. Well, I'm going to make a confession this week. I'm going to be transparent with you, okay? I tr I've trusted God implicitly in preparing these messages. I stayed away from the barn. Monday, I began to feel a little pressure. And so, uh, you know, that pressure, you say, well, what kind of pressure? Well, it's the, it's the pressure to be an expert. People expect the pastor to know everything about Scripture, to understand everything. Look, I, I know some pastors that if you talk to them, they know everything. I'm not one of those, okay? I don't have a problem saying I don't understand, I don't know, we'll find out. But you know what? I, I, I begin to feel a little pressure. Now, some of that was my own flesh, my own insecurity, and some of it was the enemy fanning the fires of my insecurity. And so instead of trusting God, I took a little trip down to my barn. 
And now, they're stacked about this high, okay? And I have no clue where any of it is. The only thing I know that's where it's at are the, the breakable stuff it's stacked on top. And so I thought, well, I'll look a minute or two. If I don't find my box with my Holy Spirit books, I'll, I'll go on. Well, guess what? I picked up one box, and there it was. Holy Spirit is just glowing at me. God was saying, no, 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 no. And I was going, yes, 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 yes. And I stuck my grubby little paw in that box. And I just pulled out three books. And if I told you the authors of those books, they're experts, okay? I, I'm, and I don't say that in a negative way. I really mean that. Three very influential men in the body of Christ. Tucked them up under my arm, went back to the dining room table, sat down again, started working on today's sermon. The only problem was God's voice just kind of went silent. I kind of believe he stayed at the barn. I don't think he went back with me to the kitchen table. And I struggled. I read a little bit. I felt guilty, and I put it down. I picked it up, put it down. Finally, I just said, I'm not, you know, and I started typing. And you know what? I typed out a, a page. It was good stuff. The only problem was it wasn't God's stuff. It wasn't untrue. It was biblical. But it just wasn't what God had to say for today. I stared at it. I stared at it. I stared at it. I quit. Went on about my business. And Tuesday, I came back to it. And I decided that, you know what, you don't need to hear what the experts say. You don't even need to hear what I say. You need to hear what God says. God forbid, I don't want to be an expert, okay? Experts are just people who think they know everything about everything. They really don't. We want to hear from the one who does know. He wrote it. These are his words. And so Tuesday afternoon, I said, okay, God, I surrender. I confess sin. I've just confessed what I've done is wrong, so you're going to have to speak to me. And God began to speak to me. I tossed my insecurities, and I got lots of them, and my fears, I got lots of them. I tossed them in the wind. I just said, hey, I'm going with the authority of the Word of God, and I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit, and we'll see where He takes us. Now, here is my desire. When I stand to speak, my desire, my only desire is to be a prophet, okay? I want to speak what God has said to me, and I want to speak it to you word for word, okay? That's all a prophet is. I want to speak prophetically like God's Word speaks prophetically. And so I'm going to do that. If you don't get anything out of this today, then it was me and not God. Fair enough. You didn't come to hear what I have to say. You really didn't. Because I don't have anything to say. You came to hear what God has to say. Nothing I say changes your life. You, you understand that, don't you? But when God speaks, just a few words, just a word rightly placed at the right moment in a person's life can radically alter a life forever. God, I don't know about you, but that's what I want to be a part of. That's my desire. I don't care. If I never get to preach again and God says, I want you to do something else, I I'll be happy, okay? I just want God to speak. And so having said all that, wasted 20 minutes of my preaching time, you know what? We're going we're gonna to see what God has to say. I feel better. I don't know about you, but I feel better. I'm, my confession's done. We're going to see what God says about being Spirit-filled. And I've just entitled this sermon today, The Holy Spirit, Spirit-filled to imitate Jesus or to imitate Christ. A couple of weeks ago, in an earlier sermon, we looked at how Jesus was dependent upon the empowerment and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Everything Jesus did while He was on this earth prior to His resurrection was done through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yes, He was God, 100%. But He was also 100% man. And Jesus trusted His Father, and He trusted the Holy Spirit to guide Him into His work. And so it's my belief that everything Jesus did, He did as a man filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He chose 
not to use his God attributes. He didn't throw them away. He did, they weren't taken from him. He didn't give them up. He just chose not to use them. He set them aside. That, that's what the text says. He didn't give them up. He just didn't use them. And the reason he did that is because he came to be the second Adam and to show us that God's plan for the first Adam was good and it was correct and it was doable. And so what Jesus does, Jesus becomes the second Adam and completes the plan of God in the lifestyle that we're supposed to live. And we see that, and we're called to imitate that. In other words, Jesus did those things so that we could imitate Him. We had no picture. All we had was Adam. And Adam sinned. And all of us know how to sin. Amen? Oh, that was weak. Confession's good for the soul, okay? If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander, okay? We all know how to sin. Amen? Did anybody teach you how to sin? No, you, if you don't think so, and, and by the way, man, we have got a, a full house kids today. God is just blessing us. But if, if you don't think that we come here knowing how to sin, you just take a little trip back here with those little guys. They know how to sin. They, when they want something, they want it now. Nobody trains a child to be selfish. It just comes here that way. That's because of Adam. And we're all the sons and the daughters of Adam. But through Christ... We get a new picture, a new example, a new prototype that we can follow. And I just cannot get away from this verse. And if you stay here and you become a part of this church, you will hear this over and over and over. But in John 14, 12, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. I just can't get away from that simple truth that Jesus is telling us as fragile and as frail and as fickle as we are that in the power of the Holy Spirit we can do what he did and even greater things. Now he said that. I didn't say that. And I don't think Jesus is a liar. I think he meant what he said and he said what he meant. And folks, I want you to understand something. I don't fully understand what all that means, but I hunger to see it happen in my life. I'm talking about more than miracles of healing. I'm talking about more than seeing deliverance, the demons come out. I'm talking more than seeing blind eyes healed and deaf ears healed. I'm talking about overcoming the temptations that we all struggle with, that we're all faced with every day. I'm talking about those sinful tendencies that we think we've killed out and beat down and all of a sudden, boom, they just pop up. I'm talking about the stupid things that we say when we're angry. I'm talking about the selfish motives that we have in our heart, even when we're trying to do something good. Those are just as important as the miracles and the healing. Do you understand what I'm saying? All of those things are part of living a victorious life. And I think Jesus has given us the ability to do that. And I think he's done that through the Holy Spirit. But the only way we can do that is to imitate Jesus. It's to act like Jesus. I love what Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says. Paul says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. How do I do that? How do I imitate God? Well, I imitate Jesus. Jesus is a living picture of who God is. And if we want to know what God wants, we can look at Jesus. You've heard me say this before. Jesus is perfect theology. If I want to know what God thinks about something, just look at Jesus. If I want to know what God says about something, just listen to Jesus. So Jesus is our example. He's our prototype. If Jesus needs to be filled with the Spirit, guess what? We need to be filled with the Spirit. And that's what Spirit-filled means. It means to be filled with the Spirit, to be overflowing. There's a fly that meets me every Sunday up here. Beelzebub's his name. By the way, that's the Lord of the flies. And this one's going to die if he keeps buzzing me. In Jesus' name. You're, I hope you're not an animal activist because this one's going to kill this one. Anyway, 
Spirit-filled just means to be full of the Spirit. That's the biblical definition. It means full is running over. When something is full, it's level with the top, running over. Jesus intended for us to live that way. He intended for every one of his children to live that way. Listen to what John chapter 14, verse 16 through 18 says. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That word another does not mean another of a different kind. There's two words in the Greek for another. One means a different kind altogether. The one he uses here means one just like me. In fact, the same stuff that I am. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, I will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. That's the Holy Spirit. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. We're on this side in this verse of Pentecost. In a few weeks... We'll be on this side, and what Jesus says, He will be in you. And listen to what Jesus says, And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, I've always read that and just kind of didn't get it. It was, okay, what's He talking about there? I believe that Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit when He says, I will come to you. And I'm going to show you why. He said He would send another, one just like me. In fact, and we're not, these verses won't be on the screen, so you, you write these down and look them up. Make sure I'm telling you the truth. But the Holy Spirit is called in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, the Spirit of Christ. It's also found in 1 Peter 11.1. 1. He's also called the Spirit of Jesus in Philippians 1.19. Jesus intended for His followers to be like Him, full of His Spirit. And so what He does is He sends His Spirit to indwell them, to fill them. As again, that's what it means to be Spirit-filled. It means to be overflowing with the Spirit of of Jesus. In essence, this is my definition, Jesus is dripping out of your pores. How many of you have ever seen, this is probably not a good illustration, but it communicates for me, okay? How many of you have ever seen the snails without a shell, the big old slugs that crawl? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You ever look real close? Wherever that slug crawls, he leaves a residue. You know what? Wherever spirit-filled people walk, it drips out of them, okay? It stains everything around them in a good way. Folks, it's not some super spiritual kind of life, okay? It's just, listen to me, the normal Christian life. The problem is we have accepted an abnormal style of Christianity and it's become normal for us. It wasn't what Jesus intended. It wasn't what the first, second, third century church walked in. They walked in a normal Christianity that was spirit-filled. It was normal. If God says, heal this person, for them to heal that person. It was normal for them to have victory over sin. It's not that they didn't sin, but you know what? They had to get victory. It was normal for them. And so this morning, I want to take just a little look at Spirit-filled. And I want to show you three things, okay? I want to show you, first of all, that when a person is Spirit-filled, there is a consistent pattern. Okay, there's a consistent pattern. Last week, when we looked at baptism of the Spirit, what we found is there's no consistent pattern. Some did this, some did that, this happened, that happened. There's just no consistent pattern. But there is a consistent pattern once a person is Spirit-filled. So we're just going to look at that, okay? I'm going to take a little time, and I'm going to give you a lot of verses. Some of them will be on the screen. Some of them you can read a little bit later. But the reason there's no pattern in the baptism, I think, is because God's in charge and we're not. And I, I think God does things like He wants to do them, and I think God knew that if He gave us a pattern, you know what? We would arrive at that pattern, and we would work that pattern, and we'd take the life out of it, and we'd take the truth out of it, and it would become dead and wrote, and it wouldn't be real. And so he didn't give us a pattern. 
He just decided he'd do it the way he wanted to when he did it. But when you look at spirit-filled people in Scripture, there is a pattern. And if you look, you're not going to believe this, but even in the Old Testament, there are some spirit-filled people. I want you to listen to, in Exodus chapter 31, verse 1 through 3. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the son of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship. Bezalel was filled with the Spirit so that he could build an exact replica of the tabernacle in heaven on earth. There was no way that a normal human being could do that even if he got instructions, there were so many intricacies, so many details that the Spirit of God had to reside within him to do this. And so the Lord says, you know what, I'm going to fill Bezalel with my Spirit so that he can do this. Now, Bezalel directed and oversaw the building of the tabernacle. And that filling caused him to speak and to teach other craftsmen how to do what they were doing. Okay, just keep that in mind. He spoke. That's one of the things. Joshua, according to Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, and this won't be on the screen, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Moses laid hands on Joshua, transferred uh, leadership from himself to Joshua, and the Bible says he was filled with the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of wisdom is another biblical term for the Holy Spirit. And what did Joshua do? Well, he became the leader. And he gave commands, and he led the children of Israel into the promised land. He taught them the Word of God. He lived out the Word of God. He spoke. There's one other place in the, New, in the Old Testament. It's the prophet Micah. In Micah chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Micah filled with the power with the Spirit of the Lord. Micah was a prophet. And God filled him with his Spirit, with his power. And Michael spoke to the leaders of his nation. And if you read the book of Micah, it's pretty bold. And so there's some Old Testament accounts. Now, we don't think of these next three as Old Testament accounts, but they really are. If you come over to the book of Luke, everything's kind of Old Testament prior to Pentecost. You understand what I'm saying? Those three or 30 or so years when Jesus is there are kind of transitional from the Old to the New. But if you look in the New Testament, John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He was filled with the Spirit while he was yet in his mother's Womb. These won't be on the screen. You have to write these down, okay? This will do you good because you'll look these up and check me out. But that's what it says. It says John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb. Now what did John become? Prophet, preacher. He was declaring, make ready the way of the Lord. He was the forerunner. He spoke. He preached. He proclaimed. There's another individual. Her name's Elizabeth. She's John's mother. The Bible says that she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1, verse 41. What does she do? Man, she immediately begins to speak a blessing. She begins to bless. And there's Elizabeth's song. One more person. His name is Zachariah. You know who Zachariah was? John's daddy. Now, there's a picture of a spirit-filled family. Mother, father, son. Zachariah was a priest. Luke 1, 67 says he was filled with the Spirit. And what happens? He speaks. He begins to prophesy. He spoke. On Pentecost, those disciples that were in the upper room, the Bible says in Acts 2-4, were filled with the Spirit. What did they do? They spoke. They spoke in tongues. When they spoke, everyone in Jerusalem heard the gospel proclaimed in their own language. Acts 4.8, Peter, it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit. He's preaching a, a fiery sermon. You know who he's preaching to? He's preaching to the same men who crucified Jesus. He was filled with the Spirit. You know what he did? He spoke. 
Listen to what happens to Peter and John and a group of believers in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. This will be on the screen. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They began to speak the word of God with boldness. They spoke. They proclaimed the gospel. They shared it with everybody. They were bold. comes along a little bit later in Acts chapter 9, verse 17. It says, And Paul was filled with the Spirit. And what did Paul do? He went and proclaimed Jesus. He went to preach. In 13.9 of Acts, it says again, He was filled with the Spirit. And he's preaching Jesus and he proclaims a judgment on Elamus, who was a wicked magician who was trying to thwart the word of the Lord, thwart the gospel. In Acts 13.52, it says the disciples in Antioch were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And they preached the word of God. Now, Here's what I'm trying to communicate in all that. There is a pattern when a person is filled with the Spirit. It's very simple. They will proclaim Jesus Christ. They will tell everybody they know what Jesus has done for them. A person can't keep quiet. They couldn't keep quiet about what Jesus was doing. They had to tell somebody. It's a sign of being full of the Spirit. You can't keep Jesus to yourself. I say this, and, and I don't mean this ugly, but don't tell me how many miracles you've done. Don't tell me what kind of power you have. Don't tell me that you pray in tongues or don't pray in tongues. Don't tell me all that stuff. Just tell me about Jesus because that is the proof that a person is spirit-filled. They will tell everyone they know about Jesus. That's just simple right out of the Bible. You can take those same verses. You can look in your concordance if you want to look up filled with the Spirit or full of the Spirit. Go through every account and what will happen is they were filled and they spoke every time. And folks, you want to know if you're filled with the Spirit today? Here's the test. Are you telling people about Jesus? Are you just proclaiming what you know about Jesus? The pattern of the proof is you'll proclaim Jesus. And here's the reason why. There's a reason. It's found in John chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. Jesus is talking again. He says, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak of His own initiative, on His own initiative. But whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will disclose what is to come. Now listen, this is what this Holy Spirit does. He shall glorify me. For he shall take of mine and disclose it to you. The Holy Spirit always comes to reveal Jesus. He doesn't come to create a show that lifts up a man or a ministry or groups or individuals or denominations. He comes to disclose Jesus. He comes to give us the testimony of Jesus. And when he gives us that testimony with power, we can speak it. That's how you know if you're spirit-filled. Now, please don't hear me say this. You know what? Spirit-filled people do do miracles. They do speak in tongues, some of them. They do cast out demons, some of them. But you know what? The crux of the matter is, are you sharing Jesus? There's your test. If you're not sharing Jesus, guess what? The field level is dropped down low. The needle ain't on full. It's, it's going this way. Now, I've heard it said, well, the reason he has to fill us over and over is because we leak. No, we don't leak. You don't leak the Holy Spirit. He just doesn't have all of you. You're still full of some other stuff. Okay, and I'll leave it at that, okay? My mind's rushing in the direction I don't need to go. Everybody with me? You all still love me? Okay, I'm just being honest. There is a constant, consistent pattern. If you're filled with the Spirit, you will speak. Now, there's also a constant purpose 
There's a purpose for being Spirit-filled. And although it is one of the reasons we are Spirit-filled is to do the works of Jesus, I believe that that it is a reason to to cast out demons. It is a reason to pray for the sick to be healed. I I believe that, but that's not the crux of it. There's a purpose, and it's so that we can imitate Jesus. Plain and simple. The ultimate purpose, I think, is, is of the spilling of the Spirit is to empower you and me to imitate Jesus. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. How many of you realize that Scripture was not written a verse by verse? In other words, Paul didn't write a verse of Scripture and then go somewhere else and write another verse of Scripture and then skip over to Ephesians and write a verse and skip over to Galatians and write a verse. Scripture has a context. And by that, by that it means every verse hangs in a context and has a meaning and it goes with the verses before and the verses after. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, this, I have a reason for this because we're going to go to a very familiar passage in a minute. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Verse 2, And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We're all familiar with verse 18 in chapter 5, which tells us what? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. We're, we're all familiar with that. But the problem is we've lifted that little verse out of the context that it goes with. See, the book of Ephesians is a book written to a group of believers to help them understand who they are in Christ. That's the first two or three chapters. If they will live this way, this is how a Christian lives. That's the next couple of chapters. If they will realize who they are and they'll live this way, then you know what? In chapter 6, you can put on the whole armor of God and stand up against the enemy. But you can't jump to chapter 6 and put on the armor and defeat the enemy if you don't know who you are and you hadn't learned how to live. Does that make sense? And so here in the midst of this, there are some other verses that are so important that if we lift them out and go, be filled with the Spirit, okay, I'm going to be filled with the Spirit. Well, I have to understand, why did Paul write that? So that we could imitate Jesus. Over and over and over down through these verses, he tells us to be wise. And he says, don't live this way, don't live this way, don't live this way. For about 12 verses, he says, be careful how you live. Don't live like this. This is not the way. Don't be unwise. Don't be foolish. And then in verse 18, he gives us the essential element we need so that we can imitate Jesus. He tells us first to imitate Jesus. He tells us how not to do it. And then in verse 18, he tells us how to do it. And you're familiar with this. I'm not going to belabor it a lot. It says, be not drunk with wine, for this is dissipation. This is reckless living. That's what that means. If, If you are drunk continually with alcohol or with wine, you will live a reckless lifestyle. That's not the way to imitate Christ. He says, but here is the way you imitate Him. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And literally, that's be being filled continually with the Holy Spirit. Allow Jesus to fill you and to fill you and to fill you and to fill you. Literally, be fully supplied with the Holy Spirit. Folks, that's the only way we can imitate Jesus. I know that because the Spirit filled Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 and 
first part of verse 2, And Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led about by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Now, we've already looked at that verse, but literally, Jesus was filled at His baptism, and the Spirit drives Him into the wilderness. Why? So that He could be tested. When He comes out of the wilderness, He comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know how He survived the wilderness? You know how He survived the testing? Because He was filled with the Spirit. God was continually pouring into him, strengthening him. If Jesus needed it, I can't speak for you, but I need it. I need it worse, okay? So there's a purpose. We're to imitate Christ. There's a pattern we're to proclaim. The last thing, there's a pursuit, a consuming pursuit, and that is Jesus. The Bible tells us to imitate Jesus Christ. Now for that to be a reality, we have to pursue him in relationship. We have to get to know him better and better. Those of you that are married or those of you that are dating, the only way you can know that person you're married to or that person you're dating is to spend time with them. Talk to them. Converse with them. You talk, they talk. That's how relationships are built. That's how relationships with friends are built. You spend time together. You do things together. And folks, the only way we can have a relationship with Jesus is to spend time with Him. But to do that, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Because here's the reality. The Spirit is the one who reveals Jesus to us. He brings to life the words and the teachings of Jesus Christ. When I was in seminary, we had to read volumes of stuff. In fact, when I started seminary, when I started seminary, I didn't have to have glasses. I had 20-20. I could, I could read right here, right here. I could read little letters off the back wall. By the time I got through with seminary, three years later, I was wearing glasses. Okay, We had to read volumes of stuff. And a lot of it was great stuff written by godly men and women who loved Jesus. But a lot of it was written by theologians who did not even believe the Word of God. They had dedicated their lives to the study of theology. And to be honest with you, I'm not even sure they believed there was a God. That just always blew me away. I couldn't understand why a man or a woman would dedicate their lives to something they didn't believe in. Now, the difference was, is that when I read the text, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. When they read the text, nobody spoke. There was no Spirit of God in them. That's the difference. So the Spirit of God reveals to us who Jesus is. You know, relationship's not some hit-or-miss activity. It's a consuming pursuit of the one you love. And it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to pursue Jesus. And He reveals more and more. I don't know if you found this to be true in your spiritual life, but you know, the more I learn about Jesus, the less I realize that I know and the more He shows me. It's a continual... That's the way it is being married. Every day I learn something new about Kathy, something I didn't know. Things amaze me. I thought I had figured out the female. I haven't. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I haven't. I I don't understand. I cannot grasp it. And every day I learn more and more. The same is true about our relationship to Jesus. If you're not learning something new about Jesus every day, you know what? Your relationship has done this instead of this. And if it's doing this, it will soon do this. Now, here's what I want you to hear me. We don't pursue the Holy Spirit. We pursue Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may think, Nelson, you've gone into heresy now. No. Jesus said that the Spirit would only reveal what Jesus told him. He would reveal Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to draw attention to Himself. The Holy Spirit always comes to draw attention and to direct attention to Jesus. That's true from the beginning. The Holy Spirit's like the wind. He comes and He's gone. He comes, He gives us a picture of Jesus, He goes. We don't pursue the Holy Spirit. We pursue Jesus. And in that pursuit, the Holy Spirit empowers us to pursue Jesus even harder. You know, it's really easy to get out of balance. It's real easy to get out of balance. 
I'm going after the Spirit of God. I'm going after the Spirit of God. I'm going after the Spirit of God. I understand what that means. I've said that before. I understand the heart there. But the reality is that we're pursuing the wrong one. We pursue Jesus. And you know what? Jesus just gives us more of the Spirit. That's how it works. So how can we be filled with the Spirit and consumed by our pursuit of Jesus? How can we truly be Spirit-filled people who passionately are consumed with our pursuit of Jesus Christ? Three things, three easy, short things I'm going to tell you. Write these down. You realize that Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, is not a request. It's a command. In other words, God is saying, do this. He's not giving us option A, option B, or option C. There's only one option, be filled with the Spirit. And if we are not filled with the Spirit, guess what? We are sinning. I know that may hurt a little bit, but that's true. If I'm not doing what God has said, then I'm disobeying God. Amen? That's not a trick question. At my house when I was growing up, if Olin said do this and I didn't do it, guess what? He didn't ask any questions. He just wore me out. Okay? Thank God. God doesn't wear us out every time we disobey. But if we're not being filled with the Spirit, we're disobeying. We're living in sin. It's not an option. So how do we do it? First thing, we must obey what Jesus tells us. Obedience is not an option for living the Spirit-filled life. You cannot be Spirit-filled if you are disobedient. Okay? That's just right out of Scripture. Ephesians 5.18, like I said, is a command. According to Ephesians 4.30, that when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Breaks His heart. So if we're sinning, we're grieving Him. He won't fill us. Here's what Jesus said in John 14.15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, if you love me, the action will be in what you do. If you do what I say, it's obvious that you love me. So He says it again in John 14.21. He who has my commandments and keeps them... He it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and will disclose. And, and that word disclose means I will reveal myself personally to that person. I will disclose myself to him. So obedience is the key. That's where we start at. Okay, I'm going to obey God. If you obey God, you know what will happen? Jesus will fill you with the Spirit. That's Bible 101. So obedience is the first step. Second step, and I really believe this, and I believe this may be where most of us get in trouble is, I believe that we have to pursue God. If you're married in here this morning, you didn't get married, get the ring slipped on your finger and go your own way for the next 10 or 15 years and do your own thing. If you did, you won't be married very long. When you got married, you pursued that person that you married. There's a pursuit. There's a desperate pursuit almost. And you know what? If we don't pursue Jesus, then we'll accept a lot of things. What I'm trying to say is you have to pursue Jesus and He's all you pursue. And if you're willing to accept anything else, you know what will happen? The devil will give you the lesson things. He'll load your life up with anything you'll accept other than the Holy Spirit. I believe that the filling of the Spirit is something Jesus does, but it's not something that He will waste on us. And by that I mean if we're not pursuing Him, why would He fill us? Why would He empower us if we have no desire to be with Him? If we're not passionate about Him? If we don't love Him? I love what Psalms chapter 81 verse 10 says. Now it's talking about something else, but man, I think this communicates. God is talking to His people and He says, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. It's a picture of little birds. You ever seen a little bird in a nest when the mama bird flies to the nest? They don't sit down there and go, hey mom, good to see you back. Drop me a worm. Man, they stretch that little neck out and that beak. It's just, and, they're just, and she drops it in there. That should be a picture of us. Every morning we wake up desperate. God, I need your spirit today. 
or I cannot do what I have to do. I cannot survive. I cannot be what you call me to be. So the second one is I think we have to be desperate. The third one is we just simply ask God to fill us. There's no magical whatever formula that I have to repeat. We just ask God to fill us. And it's interesting. I mentioned context a little earlier. As I was looking for this verse, I read the verses before it. And in Luke chapter 11, I'm going to read verse 11 and 13, but this is, the disciples have come to Jesus, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus begins to teach his disciples the model prayer. I don't call it the Lord's Prayer because Jesus never prayed that prayer. It was a pattern for them to learn. Now, we can pray it, but he didn't have to pray that the Father would forgive his sins, okay? So it was a model. It was a teaching tool. And so he, he gives them some instructions on prayer. And then he turns and does some commentary. He begins to explain what he's just said. And he gets into that passage where he talks about asking and seeking and knocking. If you ask, you'll receive. And if you knock, the door will open. And if you seek, you'll find. Those kind of things. And then he gives an illustration of what he's talking about. And I'm going to read verse 11 through 13. And I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. So now, is literally what it means. So now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. Will he give him a snake instead of a fish? He won't do that, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? In other words, if your child asks for something to eat, you won't give him a snake. You won't give him a scorpion. You won't give him something that will hurt him. That's the picture. Scorpions and serpents were pictures of the enemy. Okay, we see that over and over and over through Scripture. You won't give him the very worst. You'll give him the very best. And then listen to what he says. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? There it is. I'm not a rocket science, but if I ask, the Bible says ask. It says seek. It says knock. So we just simply ask. I obey. I do what God says. I'm passionately pursuing Jesus Christ with all my heart. So when I ask Him to fill me with His Spirit, you know what? I can be assured that He will. The problem is we ask for that filling and we're disobedient and we're not pursuing. And that's why we live the abnormal Christian life rather than the normal Christian life. Will the Holy Spirit come on a person if you lay hands and pray? Yeah, but that's not the pattern that Scripture teaches us. It happens from time to time. If a person is filled with the Spirit, will they speak in tongues? Some will, okay? It's, but it's not the pattern for everybody. It's not anything to be afraid of. It's not anything strange, okay? It happens in Scripture. The pattern is, is that we go after Him with all our heart, we obey Him, and we ask. And if our Father, who is light years better than any of us, or as fathers. If we wouldn't give our kids snakes and scorpions to eat, guess what? Our Father will give us what we need. Now folks, we need the Holy Spirit to lead, to guide us, and to empower us. If we want to be a different kind of church, and that's the desire of my heart, is to be different. And by different, I don't mean strange or bizarre or wacky. I mean, I want to be this kind of different. I believe that what happened in this book didn't stop when John died. Okay? I'm sorry I was taught that, but I don't believe that. John just wasn't that important. Okay? I mean, he was an important man, but he was not the most important man who ever lived. I believe this is a pattern that we are supposed to live out and that we can live in victory and we can live in power and we can see lives changed. But folks, for us to be able to do that, we have to be filled with the Spirit of God. We have to know who the Spirit of God is. We have to be dependent on the Spirit of God. So here's my question this morning. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit?
If you are, there will be a consistent pattern of proclamation of Jesus Christ in your life. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a teacher. You're just going to be a witness wherever you are. You will witness with your mouth. You will witness with your lifestyle. It will be evident that something is different about you. Is there purpose? Is there constant purpose going on? In other words, are you constantly pursuing Jesus Christ as a passion? If you are, guess what? You're probably spirit-filled. And do you want to imitate Him? Do you live to be like Jesus? If you do, it's a pretty good bet that you're spirit-filled. But if you're not, and listen, I know what it's like to live non-spirit-filled, okay, empty. How many of you have ever run out of gas? When Kathy and I first got married, I had a, a, a 65 uh, Chevrolet truck that I bought from her uncle. My brother-in-law owns it now. And uh, the gas gauge is messed up on it. So I was forever running out of gas. And every time I ran out, it was a long, long walk to the service station. It was never close. Finally, I just got a gallon Put it in a little tube box in the back after I walk several miles. And you know what? When you run out of gas, I, I don't know about you, what your luck is. Nobody would ever pick me up. I don't know what the deal was. Maybe I look too scruffy. I don't know. But I, I just couldn't get a ride. I got a ride one time on the back of a motorcycle. I wish I'd just walked, okay? But you know what? What I learned is that truck would not run without gas. You know what? It wouldn't have mattered if it had been a Lamborghini Testarossa, a half-million-dollar automobile. It still would not have run without gas. And folks, you and I will never live like Jesus intended for us to live without the fuel that the Holy Spirit provides for us. Now, if you're happy where you're at, God bless you. I pray that he doesn't increase your tribe, but God bless you. Because this is a, this, I believe this is a choice that we make. Folks, we need the Holy Spirit. We need him desperately because we need to know more about Jesus and he's the only one that can reveal him. Let's pray.